Hey, friends, welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're digging deep. We're looking at how archaeological findings are supporting biblical stories. Yeah, we're going to look at some of the most amazing archaeological finds of all times, like the earliest mentions of God, the earliest mentions of Jesus Christ in the archaeological record, and a lot of other really cool, interesting things. So grab your Indiana Jones hats, your Bible, and your shovel, and let's dig in. Guys, I'm really excited to get started on this episode. It's good to have you guys in the studio again, oh, Ryan, sure. Father Rich. Hey guys. Great to be with you guys. Good to oh, have yeah. you guys listening in. We're ready to get going. Yeah, uh, I, archaeology to me has always been one of the mo very most fascinating of the sciences. Uh, understanding history and then understanding scripture through the lens of history and, and reconciling that our church and the Catholic faith is not a faith based on abstractions. This was a faith of of skin and bones and of dirt and stones. I mean, there was real people in real places and real times that have left behind an amazingly uh, and surprisingly intact archaeological record that not only supports um, most of what the Bible says, but it also enlightens our understanding of what life was like and why and understanding understanding our faith through the prism of historicity. Mm -hmm. To be able to dig your hands into the history and the foundations of society and civilization is a pretty special thing to do. Archaeology has always been an interest of mine since I was a little kid. I mean, I had books on it, and, and I would imagine, like Indiana Jones, going back and, and like kind of discovering the Ark, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I still remember watching that movie with my grandfather. But, you know, the, when I was in studies in, in the seminary, I actually got to participate at an archaeological site in Magdala and dig my hands into that earth. Oh, that's and cool. That oh, was really, that was fascinating. That's on the Sea of Galilee, right? It's right on the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. So it was really illuminating. And to see and to feel and literally dig your hands into the earth. And break an M4 and be like, uh-oh, uh -oh, cover it back up. Gotta walk away. <laughs> you get an F in the class. <laughs> hey, Richard, did you find anything? I didn't find nothing. <laughs> no, they, and, and clearly we're not archaeologists, right? We're seminarians studying, you know, a biblical archaeology class, with, with uh, Father Bill Burton, one of my favorite classes throughout my time in seminary. But, you know, the, they obviously, like, zone a place that there is absolutely nothing of note, and then they let people come in and just kind of yeah. participate in the dig. It was kind of like, uh, you know, one of those uh, sandboxes. You know, kids, <laughs> yeah, just playing. older kids in a sandbox. <laughs> they, they, they put a, a little You're rock You're archaeologist. <laughs> Go sit for gold. Oh, wow, you found a rock. I'm going to put this we're on the so shelf. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> like we're painting it, you know. Now, before uh, we dig into what archaeologists have found, why don't you tell our listeners and our watchers how they can find more of us? And you can dig in at www.catholictalkshow.com. I just wanted to make sure I got that. Yeah. You can subscribe, and then you'll be able to see exactly how you could listen in or view. We're on YouTube. We're on Stitcher, iTunes. And there's a lot of options for you, Spotify. So make sure that you're exploring those options. If you're commuting with us, going to work, or you know, sneaking a headphone in while you're working, you know, we want to make sure that you, we can, you can access us on all platforms. And certainly we're on social media, so Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And for our Patreons out there, those people who are supporting us financially so that the show can continue to grow and we can continue to produce these engaging topics for you, make sure that you're checking us out on patreon.com forward slash The Catholic Talk Show. And we really appreciate the support. 
forward slash Catholic talk show. There's oh, no the. No the? There's Catholic no the. Talk show. Catholic talk show. Get it right, people. It's, it's, look, if you're watching this, you probably went to our website. You're looking at the page. There's a link there. Just click that. It's Check simple. It. It's yeah, easy. Absolutely. It's super Thanks easy. for making it so easy for everybody, yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's very charitable. I seek, I, I seek to serve and accommodate. <laughs> so what are you going to serve and accommodate us with today, Sheil? What's so, the first topic? So I think the first thing that I'd want to talk about is that uh, the patron saint of archaeology. And we've talked about this. We've touched on this in the, on a few other episodes. But um, really, archaeology is my favorite subject. And the patron saint of archaeology is Constantine's mother, St. Helena. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. Because she she was the one who discovered the cross yeah. and a number of other artifacts yeah, as well. She, she, she sought she mm-hmm. sought all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So after after the Battle of the Milvian Bridge and the Edict of Constantine legalizing Christianity and making it the state religion, Edict of Milan, Milano, no, Constantine. Just, Just, I mean, this is me thing. correcting you for thing. the first time. It's the same in thing. Forty episodes. It's the same thing. <laughs> Jerk. But anyway, Constantine sent his mother Saint Helena down to the Holy Land and. She went, and this is not too far removed from the time that our Lord walked the earth and the apostles, and there was very strong local traditions, and still most of these structures are there, and she went down to the Holy Land, and she was able to find uh, the spots that we still know today, like the site of the birth of Christ, the Mm -hmm. uh, site of the Annunciation, the site of the crucifixion, the the Holy Sepulcher, and and the true cross. So St. Helena really did... She was the first biblical archaeologist, and she's definitely worth noting. And we still enjoy the her uh, discoveries, her discoveries yeah. to this day. So and venerate them around the world. Absolutely. I mean, how many how many churches have a shard of the cross in a reliquary or in their altars around the world? And it's massive. It's been distributed literally Amazing. in every continent and almost every nation. I'm sure. Doesn't Doesn't Saint Peter's have on every point in the the church the the cross? You know, because it's shaped like a cross. Don't they have a, a part of the cross in every? Oh, absolutely. Corner? Okay, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Pretty so, cool. Now, to start digging into the historical record, I thought we could do this kind of chronologically. Mm-hmm. And one of the really, I think, interesting things from the very, very deep misty past is how mankind really first got to know God and what archaeological record shows about that initial engagement. When did people start to understand that among the pantheon of all these, you know, pagan gods that they had worshipped, when does Yahweh start to uh, enter into the historical record? Now, you probably think it was somewhere around like Abraham... See, but we don't really have no. archaeological record of Abraham. Uh, the best that we can surmise is that he was probably around between the years 25 BC and 1800 mm-hmm. BC, 2500 mm-hmm. and 1800 BC, somewhere in there. Because there's really not, I mean, he's just a random guy from well, then I'm and, and, guess, and, a, Egypt. and a nomad too. So, like, even even in relationship to like setting up right. metropolitan cities, that wasn't that wasn't really the norm of that day. Hmm. So to be able to you know, dig in and, and to see a settlement would have been very, very unique for Abraham's time and age, really. Gotcha. Right. But the first record, the first possible mention that archaeologists have ever defi- uh, discovered of the word Yahweh and the use of Yahweh comes from a 15th century BCE um, inscription in Egypt from the Temple of Solab by Amenhotep III, right? Mm-hmm. Now, to understand why you're going to be finding archaeological evidence of Yahweh in Egypt is you have to understand the history at the time. 
a lot of t- the rulers of the time really wanted to self-aggrandize and to support their own power base. And what they would do is, because biblical archaeology typically centers around you know the the Hebrews and the Christians who were not historically powerful people, most of their settlements ultimately were destroyed. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the only times that we're really going to find very strong mentions of them are by the people who conquered them. Mm-hmm. And in this this mention on one of these uh, columns in the Temple of Amenhotep III, the first mention that archaeologists say this is probably about Yahweh, it mentioned the Shashu of Yahoo in the land of Yahoo, right? So that was basically saying uh, Shashu was the Egyptian way of saying nomads. And they said in this thing that... Amenhotep had conquered these people, and they said the shashu of you know this this group and this god and this god, but they say the shashu of Y H W. So they say this is probably the first time anyone actually recorded the word Yahoo, and they mm. were saying that the Egyptian had conquered these nomadic people who believed in Yahoo. So this mm. this is like an Egyptian temple or a scroll? Yeah, no, it's an or... Egyptian temple. Okay. It's the Temple of Soleb, uh, built by Amenhotep III. Isn't that in a museum? Is it, the, is it in the Louvre or something like that? No, that's, that's a different one, and we're oh, going to okay. get to that one. So mm. this one is still there at the temple. Now, the one I think I've that you're the, talking about. I've been about. to the Louvre. Oh. With my Indiana Jones hat on years ago. And a ago. bull whip. And a bull, well, I had to conceal the bull to, whip, really. You had to yeah. leave that at the front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Come, come he, he went as a monk and he used the bull whip as a signature. And he's like, <laughs> it's my signature. you. <laughs> I think the one that you're talking about is the, the Mesha Stele or the Moabite Oh, stone. yes, 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 yes. Now, yes. this is the first one where they know for more or less for certain that this is definitely a certain mention of of. Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So this one, yeah, that one is in the Louvre, mm-hmm. and it mentions the house of David, right? So this is also a very mm-hmm. important thing because uh, it says, look, th- this is the first time that the house of David and Yahweh are mentioned, and this was from... That's obviously at, not from... And, and clearly, like, from, from that nomadic reference to Yahweh yep. to now more of a settlement yep. and a house of David, which is mm-hmm. pretty interesting progress that... At the house of David and the, the children of Israel. Now, this now this one's really interesting because mm-hmm. this one, contrary to most of the other things that we're going to discuss, this one is actually saying that the house of David conquered these people mm. because they were saying the, the King Mesha of Moab was basically saying that their God was angry at them and allowed them to be conquered by the house of David, mm. which is, that's pretty cool. So this is, this is probably from the year about ninth century BCE. Right, mm-hmm. BC. So that's the first time where the, the earlier reference in Egypt that is conjecture. It's very similar. It's probably the same. This one is certain. They know that this is talking directly about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you saw that. Yeah, when I went to the Louvre, and and interesting too is just you know when you consider Egypt, Egypt is one of that amazing powers powerhouses of an established you know settlement. And you could see how this is kind of set in in the world as, you know, one of the world's marvels. And that's why we continue to try to uncover the history and the archaeology of this great civilization. Yeah. Because it's it's fascinating. We, it's not like we have, like, Mesopotamia as intact mm-hmm. as we do in relationship to Egypt. So but very contemporary. Now, a really cool thing about this, the, the Mesha Stone, is that it 
more or less confirms Second uh, Kings chapter three. And in Second Kings chapter three, at the time, this was the there was the United Kingdom of of Israel, which was the north and the south, Judah and all the twelve tribes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the Bible. Read it. It's very interesting, but it's also very... The Bible's very interesting. No, the, the whole, the history of the house of David and and the United Kingdom and, yeah. you know, Samaria and Judah, right? But it's very, it's a laborious read. But in 2 Kings 3, it says that um, Jehoram of Israel and then Jehoshaphat of Judah united, right, to fight this king and and won. And this, this stone actually confirms that, mm. that they, that that's there. So, I mean, it's a very... It's taking this uh, biblical account of God's work uh, to in the Holy Land and in in uh, Cana to basically prop up his his chosen people, and it, it confirms it in the archaeological record. So it's a really important find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. Now another one that's like that is the Tel Dan Stele. Mm-hmm. Now it's not the Steely Dan. Okay. You you gotcha. asked that and it's not that. Yeah. So one of the, again, this is a very direct reference to the house of David, right? Now, a lot of the archaeology that a lot of the problems that we have in the Middle East really relates to the historicity of the Jewish people inhabiting that land. And a lot of times they say, well, no, they weren't really there. But this really does prove that the, the king of Israel and that the house of David was, was there. The, the Bible is accurate. They have a long history of occupying the land. And it really holds up their claim to the Jewish right to the to occupy that area. So, mm-hmm. so this one actually, this one talks about uh, Azahiah, uh, Joram. These are all people in the Bible. Ahab, uh, the House of David. It's it's a really pretty. This is what most archaeologists say is probably the most important find of biblical archaeology, is related to the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And, and it's very important to recognize exactly what we've been saying, that this backs up what we have contained in Scripture and what the tradition of our beliefs are in relationship to occurrences where God has showed his hand in the midst of the children of Israel overcoming their foes or enemies and really being a, an established house of true worship of monotheism. Yeah. So this was, this was found in um, 1993, 1994. Um, and in lines eight and nine of it, it specifically mentions the king of Israel and the house of, of David. And that is just, I mean, to be able to find that in the archaeological record and that it's not just the king of Israel, it's the house of David. So it shows that Davidic dynasty, mm-hmm. right? And this is this would be before the, um, the Mesop- oh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the diaspora. Di- diaspora where mm-hmm. they were, you know, taken off to Babylon and the, the Babylonian captivity. So it's a really important... A uh, really important find that is super interesting to archaeologists. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple last things from the Old Testament, because I think the Old Testament's a little bit more obscure for most most people. One of the really cool things that they found were the the actual seals of Isaiah and King Hezekiah, mm. right? So these are the seals that they would, when they were doing an official document, they would have stamped it on them. Mm-hmm. With their like cult. on wax. On wax, wax yeah. right. So of the actual prophet Isaiah... And King Hezekiah, who, uh, if my Bible memory is correct, is the one that really reestablished temple worship and found that opened the Ark of the Covenant and found the law of David, um, the law of Moses in there, and established what we would most people would consider the 
the temple worship of the Jews that would have been familiar to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So are you are you talking about they found a seal just for King Hezekiah, not for Isaiah? No, Isaiah, Isaiah and Hezekiah. But Isaiah wouldn't have a seal. I, he wasn't a... He Isaiah was, a, was the prophet. He was in the office of the prophet. Okay, okay. So the office of the prophet and the office of the king were po- both part of the government. Oh, wow. So the mm-hmm. prophet was kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. See, I I, I, mm-hmm. I consider prophets almost aside from that just... You know, because they all they all get sacked, and you know they, they kind of have that rough job of, mm-hmm. of you right. know, confronting <laughs> sharing the, yeah. the, the word mm-hmm. of God, and usually mm-hmm. it's in a contentious time mm-hmm. to authorities. See, that, but Hezekiah you know, was one of those kings who actually listened to the prophet. Gotcha. And was, but there was, is an office. I think that's the important right. thing. I think for listeners, uh, there is an office for that. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are actually found three feet apart from each other at uh, the foot of the Temple Mount. So uh, a lot of the, a lot, there's, there's been a couple of excavations of the Temple Mount, but it's really so contentious. No one's allowed to arc, right. uh, excavate around it. Yeah, it's a pretty dicey situation. But I think 15, maybe tw- 10 to 20 years ago, they did some excavations and they just scraped out a ton of land at the Palestinian Authority and took the land and just dumped it. So it removed the stratification of being able to understand it. So they're still going through these big mounds of dirt and earth and finding all kinds of things. But without the context of the stratification, it's hard for them to find that. Wow. Yeah. You mean the levels? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, where was this? You're right. trying to piece in, in things one, oh, together. Yeah, you have to piece together. And the together. Temple of the Mount mm-hmm. is in Jerusalem. It's the, it's the Wailing Wall, yeah, right? right? And then beyond that. And in that, in that process of delineating time, that's how you, that's how you analyze what time frame yeah, these but, archaeological finds it's kind of like occurred. a tree, you know, it's got like layers to it and you can yeah. kind of identify how old it is. Mm-hmm. From the, yeah. mm-hmm. So, you know, a real quick rundown of some other things that archaeologists have found that support the Bible in the Old Testament. They found the cities of Hazor, Dan, Megiddo, Shechem, Samaria, Shiloh, Gezer, uh, Beth Shemesh, all these cities in the Bible that, you know, you think, oh, it's a city. It's easy. Just look it up on a map. That's not how it works. I mean, these cities were... 3,000 years ago, yeah. and they've been covered by years of, of uh, sediment, sediment yeah. debris, and, and ruins, construction. construction. you got to look for mm-hmm. geezer. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. you got to look for the geezer, man. <laughs> they've, I'll uh, tell you, sonny. Hey, don't you come around here no more. <laughs> <laughs> they found uh, evidence from Kings 14 and Second Chronicles of Shishak's invasion of Judah, uh, the wow. Moabite stone, the the obelisk of Shalemenser III, uh, which is from, again, Second Kings. Uh, the burial plaque of King Uzziah, right? I mean, this is one mm-hmm. of the kings. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the cylinder of Cyrus the Great that's permitting the Jews of the captivity to go back and reestablish the temple. I mean, there is a lot of evidence supporting the Old Testament, even though it's so obscure and so long ago and a relatively inconsequential people in the history and the power structure of the Middle East. Right. They found a lot of this stuff. Mm. Pretty cool. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so that's like Magdala too. I mean, you 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 would think the Sea of Galilee, you know, you would have archaeological evidence just kind of poking out, and there's mm-hmm. just a lot of see, but this, stuff they're uncovering. Yeah, on. but this area, I mean, this was the crossroads of the world. I mean, you have the Persians and the Assyrians on one side, you have the and the Hittites, and then you have the Egyptians on the other side, and then you have the Greeks and the Romans uh, to the you know there's everywhere else. I mean, on. everyone's it's a coming perfect through trade here. post. I mean, it's yeah. a perfect point of contact of all of those great nations. Well, and it peoples. Can, yeah, it connected North Africa, the the Orient, and Europe, and because of that, everyone was always fighting for it. So, I mean, the archaeological record there is just a 
it's just a network of scars of history showing burn layers and destruction and mm -hmm. different powers coming in. I mean, mm -hmm. so it's, it's a spending time in the Holy land going to Tel Aviv. I wound up staying in Tel Aviv for a couple of days when I traveled there by myself, that my first trip and I was just walking around and I discovered, you know, just providentially, I, I really don't pull out maps. I just pull out my rosary and I just walk around and I pray the rosary and I discover things. And I, I discovered in the ancient city of Jaffa, that house of uh, the house where Peter had that apparition mm -hmm. of, you know, what I have where made Where God clean. said it's cool to eat bacon? Yeah, it's cool to eat bacon. That, that's that, that's wow. an important that, That's house. a holy site. Oh, it's that's a very a holy site. Yeah. yeah, it's a holy but site. But right next to that is, it was an Egyptian outpost. So, yep. you know, they had this Egyptian archaeological site where they that where they uncovered what was being done there and and trade and all yeah. these other types of uh, types of things going on right there in the ancient city of Jaffa. Yep, that's a big trading area. Oh yeah, yeah. Big so now area. jumping into the New Testament, you guys were mentioning the Sea of Galilee. Our Lord's ministry really was centered around Galilee. He was it was not too much in Judea. It was around. All these cities in um, it was in Judea when it was time to do the Jewish thing, right? Mm -hmm. It was when it well, was time were... to go to the temple, or you know, yeah, during the Passover, and mm -hmm. I mean, he made trips, you know, I'm sure, right? So yeah, he, of course he did. He yeah. was like a good, was, like a proper Jewish yeah, yeah. adherent. Mm -hmm. He would go to the temple every year, uh, but there was a there's a network of cities kind of supported by the Romans. There is the the Decapolis, and then there's a lot of villages like. Magdala and Nazareth and Capernaum, all these cities that you've heard in the Bible, but they were, they were villages. I mean, mm -hmm. maybe 2000 people. And then over time they got abandoned and you, just, you can't just find them anymore. Yeah. And it's around a lake that's probably not even as big as Lake Tahoe, you know? Like that he uses Tahoe yeah. as the reference. I, 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 you know, when I got there, I was like, you know, the Sea of Galilee. I'm like, this is like Lake Tahoe or something, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I mean, it was beautiful, but I was just thinking the size. Mm -hmm. So the, <laughs> the one city in Galilee that you really could say was Jesus's home base was Capernaum. Mm. I mean, I think Peter's house, I think six of the apostles were for Capernaum. Mm -hmm. yeah. that, that's where he centered his ministry from him. That was for all intents and purposes. That was the first Vatican. That was the first center of the church was this tiny little fishing village on the Galilee. And in a sense, the first church as Absolutely. well, the first yeah. place of well, gathering. That's what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. They actually did find what would have been the very first church. Mm -hmm. And that was St. Peter's house. Yep. I've been there. You were? I've been there too. I've been there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's really very cool. cool place. And it has this, it has this not eerie sense of silence, but an almost like a, a permeating reverence mm -hmm. that you feel when you, when you're walking around this, this yeah, holy you, site. You can access a lot there too. You know, oh, yeah. I was pretty surprised, you know, that there are some, a lot of things that really weren't closed off that you could walk through the town, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I do think they had a synagogue there too, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, yeah, found, yeah, they, they found a synagogue that. too there where he would yep. have preached. Yeah. Uh, in Matthew 8, it talks about uh, St. Peter's mother-in-law having the fever, right? And his mother-in-law would have been living with him. That would have been the custom at the time. And uh, Jesus entering the house and healing his mother-in-law. This mm -hmm. is where that miracle would have happened, yeah. right? And they found this. Um, they were in, in 1968, archaeologists started working on what they saw as the, remain, the remains of a Byzantine-era church. And it was an octagonal-shaped church. And then as they started excavating it, they noticed that below that, and so the Byzantine era would have been, you know, five, six hundreds. Yeah. But below that, they noticed a first century AD house, a very simple house um, that had Christian inscriptions on it. They had a picture of the Ascension, um, you know, had an area for worship. It had a baptistery. 
And so they had converted. So why was there one house in Capernaum, right, you know, right on the shores that yeah. was, and the, all the conjecture and all of the archaeological evidence basically points to that this was actually St. Peter himself. This was his house. This was, this was the first see of Peter. This was the Vatican. This is where the first pope actually would be holding mass right after the ascension. And this is, this is also where we could really ascertain that Peter was a very successful man. He was, you know, on the north shore of the Galilee, really at a, at a trade. The north side. The north side. He's not from the, the north, south side. Yeah, he's not from the south side. Yeah, he's from the north Reno. side. <laughs> but, you he, know. He'd watch the Galilean Cubs <laughs> play, not the Galilean White Sox. <laughs> right? So Jesus highlighted that point of interest. And these all these people in this, this town would have been excellent fishermen. Mm-hmm. And that was the the competitive trade of the day. And, and. Peter being so successful in that prime real estate where he had his house. I mean, North Shore is a nice is a nice. Yeah, that's, shore. that's a nice area. That's a good zip code. Absolutely, good schools zip code. Are great. To have. Schools are great, <laughs> and all the things that are around it too. You had the multiplication of the loaves. Uh, you know, is on the it's on a hill just just by there. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the miracles that Jesus performed were. were just in that little area. And over 90% of his ministry in the scriptures that we have contained is all around the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. And and principally, like a greater concentration of that is in the northern part of, of the Galilee. And when you mm-hmm. it's interesting too to think of the the roadways to Nazareth right. from there. And Cana. And Cana and all of these other locations. They, it wasn't far. No. No. I mean, these are like five mile walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These mm-hmm. are small villages kind of just centered around fishing and then the supporting of that trade. And you know, yeah. so yeah, but what I like to consider is Jesus making his way all the way down the River Jordan yeah. from the Sea of Galilee and descending all the way down into the Dead Sea and right at the mouth of the Dead Sea being baptized by by John. I just love thinking about that and his his the path itself and how long that took and the conversations <laughs> and the the meditation and the prayer that happened all the way to the point of this anticipation of his public ministry. And he's descending into the lowest point on earth, and then he's submerged in the waters that is at the mouth of of nothingness and of, of aridity and the desert and and lifelessness. And he's submerged into our death in this world, literally, not just the human peril, but earthly peril. And he's submerged there, and then he rises from the waters and then makes his way to mm. open up that ministry, the beautiful ministry that we continue to adore and worship as a people of God. Yeah, I think it's cool how God uses, you know, creation and topography in this case, you know, to, exactly. to, to kind of, you know, speak to us, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of, lot of things that go on, you know, with, you know, we were talking on another episode, Golgotha, you know, and, and how um, God uses certain places to, and we're Adam. To, yeah, exactly. Like where yeah. Adam died and then where Jesus died. Yeah. And the restoration of Adam that that from the earth, from the clay that God formed man. So even in relationship to the topography that you just referenced, why is archaeology so important? Right. Because we're discovering these realities. Why yeah. should we know where Golgotha is? Why should we know and isolate where Jesus was actually baptized? Not commemoratively. You know, like further up the the you know to the Sea of Galilee that he was baptized 
in this kind of nice place. There's a place there. There's a place that, that you can kind of commemorate that. It's a good swim, but it's a it's good not, swim. You know, the other aspect of it is you really can't reach that area where Jesus was when you go yeah, to the Dead tough. Sea. It's it's really hard to get there. Mm-hmm. But but to consider that, like yeah. no, like he was actually near the Essene community. He was near a place of austerity and and discipline and prayer and. And, you know, where the mitzvah cleansings and washings were taking place and people were sacrificing and living celibacy, mm-hmm. you know, to, to observe all of those things. And it's it's important for us to really dig in, pun intended, to these archaeological sites so that we can be more firmly rooted in the actuality of, of our faith and how it was lived out. All right. So, so you mentioned John the Baptist. And one of the places that the archaeologists have actually found is the site where they would consider that Jesus would have been baptized by John the Baptist. And that's the, the Kassar al-Yahud, right? And that's, um, that, that it means the castle of the Jews in Hebrew. And what was found here was a, this goes back to the fourth century in Helena, right? They found, um, you know, a traditional baptistry there. Um, they found evidence of John the Baptist having uh, operated in the area. And tradition says that this is also the place where during the um, conquest of Cana that the Jews would have crossed over the Jordan River at this point to, uh, you know, under Joshua. Um, And to this day, I think the Pope actually went there four or five years ago to this site. Um, It's right um, kind of south of, let's see, south of of Jericho, um, right around in that area. Uh, And it's still Jordan River and they they still, people still go there. to get baptized to this day, it's a pretty mm-hmm. it's a pretty cool place. Now, there's a couple competing sites for it. Um, there's some because obviously tourism is a very big industry over there, and they there's a couple competing sites. One's actually in Jordan, and one's actually on the other side. So both countries are trying to, I guess, um, give credence to their claim because it's a very important site for people to make a pilgrimage mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And as we as we mentioned before. You know, it's it's important for archaeological discovery and accuracy of archaeology so that we could really highlight and isolate exactly where these locations would be, because obviously the significance of where the Jews would have crossed the Jordan and then where Jesus himself was submerged in the waters is kind of an interesting point, right? right? So it's, it's, it's also important the point to recognize where, that. It's also where, or according to tradition, the prophet Elijah would have ascended to heaven as well. Yes, yeah. So there's a lot of different uh, connections and connotations, but this isn't to uh, kind of uh, play down these other locations where commemoration of, of action has been honored for centuries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the Sermon on the Mount, for example, was that the exact place that Jesus gave his mm-hmm. sermon? Or, you know, other other places of memorial. Is this the exact place? You know, a lot the of people, them, yes. Some, some of them, them no. no. But but the fact that people and millions of people have made pilgrimages to these locations, the fact that they are reverencing God and reverencing these realities in Old Testament and New Testament says something, and there is a power to that yeah. of, of consideration as well. There's grace, too. Yeah, there's absolute grace. grace. Yeah. So moving on from that and, and starting to get to, uh, I guess, more towards the end of the Gospels, um, Pontius Pilate. Now, Pontius Pilate was not... He was not Jewish. He was not a Christian. He was the Roman prelate uh, put in charge of of the Roman occupation of Judea. And now this one, you would think, well, obviously, this is the Romans kept great records. But there's not a lot about Pontius Pilate in the Roman records because he was he was 
you know, in the Romans' view, he was a minor governor of a minor area that they, you know, he wasn't very widely celebrated. But they actually found that Pontius Pilate, there was an inscription because he built in, um, I think it was in Caesarea, they, he built a built that city, and he, there was an inscription where Pontius Pilate was dedicating this city to the Emperor Tiberius. And this was, Tiberius reigned from 14 to 37 AD. And this uh, Pontius Pilate's rule was 26 to 36 AD, which really, if you look at that, 26 to 36 AD, that is directly in line with what uh, Catholic tradition typically says, that the crucifixion happened between 30 and 33 AD. So right there, there's a very... Um, very direct archaeological evidence of at least a time frame of the ministry of Jesus Christ and his execution. Mm -hmm. And again, this is all narrowing in in more precision. And again, the importance of archaeology to narrow in with precision to be able to back up with evidence that is actually tangible evidence for these realities. Wasn't there a a big historian like Josephus or something like that? Josephus, yes. Josephus, Josephus, yeah. 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 He wrote wrote a lot. Josephus is probably the most important Mm -hmm. uh, early source that we have of uh, post-Christian history in the Holy Land. But he also talks about a lot of things. He talks about the destruction of the temple. He talks about the Bar Kokhba revolution. He talks about uh, Jesus' execution. I mean, he is important. It, it is incredibly history. important. If you're into, yeah. if you are into early uh, Christian and um, Jewish um, archaeology from the first to second century, you really need to read Joseph as Josephus Flavius. Mm-hmm. You have to read mm-hmm. it. Now, another thing that they found that um, archaeologists have found is the ring of Pontius Pilate. Cool. Mm-hmm. Right. In his tomb or something? No, so it was actually... And this is how he would seal seal different documents yep. and letters. Knock and people out. Knock people out, yeah. Put, Bust a tooth. Put, 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 <laughs> put his sign on somebody's forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Come here. Come here, like Rick James. <laughs> it said unity on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, this was actually found... Um, in a Herodian fortress. So King Herod would have been um, kind of a vassal king to the Roman mm-hmm. Empire. Yeah. And this was a, basically would have been the ring of a Roman cavalry, right? So this would have basically showed that whomever this ring belonged to, it had bared the inscription of Pontius Pilate in a Herodian uh, temple. So I'm sorry, um, a Herodian fortress. So this would have been the soldiers under the direct command of Pontius Pilate. So again, that really is in the archaeological record, irrefutable proof that Pontius Pilate was a historical figure. And that, that starts to build that at least evidentially that circumstantial case for the, the veracity of the accounts, the historical accounts of the new Testament. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of people like, you know, you you see a lot of people in, in secular world media that, they dismiss a lot of the things in the Bible, um, you know, cause you got stories in there where, you know, a, a guy's in a whale's mouth for three days and, you know, a lot of this stuff is just she found that whale <laughs> inside. It said Jonah was here. <laughs> yeah. That's so like this is food wrappers and stuff. Too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Is that another part of this show? Here? It's not. That's the last archeological discovery that yeah, we're that's that what actually, That's actually what got me disbarred from the archeological <laughs> <laughs> forums. <laughs> so uh, two more things that I think are worth noting, and we've, we've covered this one and another one, but 
that they found the bones of St. Peter under the Vatican. Mm -hmm. That is, now there's a really great book out there. It's called The Bones of St. Peter, the full, the first full account of the discovery of the apostle's tomb. Uh, you can go and find this book and read a lot about it. But what had happened is that... Um, what had happened? Yeah, what had well, happened here, was, here's, let me tell you. Here's how this, here's how this goes down. English? I don't know. What had happened is yeah. proper English. Okay. Absolutely. Just, yeah, what had happened Mrs. was... Mrs. Walsh, you would, you'll back me up on that. <laughs> So they were doing some renovations of, of St. Peter's, and you guys have both been to the catacombs under St. Peter's, mm -hmm. right? It really, St. Peter's was built, there was a hill to the, I guess, to the right transept of it, mm -hmm. and it was built into that, and along the base of this hill was a, a Roman street, and along this there would have been a lot of um, tombs. Because a lot of, th back in those days, they built tombs along the side of the roads outside of the cities. Because that when people walking past it, they would see you and you know, commemorate you. Um, so after the execution of Peter, um, they would have taken him into this tomb, and then over time, uh, like Constantine would have, you know, the church would have built on built on top of it, and they would have backfilled it. But this Roman street is still there. So they're doing renovations, and they they got down to the lowest level of this uh, Roman era street, and there was a what they called a red wall. And there was a graffiti on there that said Petri Inni, right? Which means Peter is inside here. Mm -hmm. And inside of a crack of it, they were able to see a small box, a silver reliquary box. And um, in it were the bones of a, and scientifically examined, of a first century Judean male who would have been about 60 years old, who would have been kind of a, uh, a rougher stock, kind of, you know, thick dude, and was wrapped in purple and gold threads inside of it. And I mean, this, you know, they, they went through all the archaeology and they really, they, it took a long time for them to announce this because they wanted to make sure that they were being very meticulous with their archaeological um, methodology. Uh, but yeah, I, the Pius the Pius Twelve, Paul the Sixth, they both said, look, no, we've, we've found, if you had found any other person's bone that said Peter was here with a 2,000-year tradition that's saying that this person was buried here, then you found first-century corroborating graffiti, then bones that were treated with a very particular reverence with gold and purple cloth, and they were genetically the same of a Judean male. I mean, this is— And, and there was, like, signs that the feet were—he was crucified was missing the feet. He was missing, yeah. feet. missing feet. Yeah. And how, that, how the graffiti grew in concentration right. and number as you move closer to the tomb, yep. which was yeah. very striking. Yeah, Peter's that, well. that way. Yeah, so you have, you have, you know, graffiti, and you have different tombs in different places along that roadway when you're going through that archaeological site underneath the Vatican— yeah. And then as you're moving closer, you're seeing the graffiti grow in concentration mm -hmm. right up to the point of where, where the tomb is. Yep. Yeah. It's fascinating how much Rome is built on top of other things. And that goes right back to what we were talking about Fascinating. Before. Yeah. Fascinating. And, but, it, but it creates a complicated scenario for archaeologists right. to be able to dig yeah, they just fill in stuff and <clears throat> yep. then build stuff build on, on top, top of it. When they first found this, they they ran upstairs and they're like, "Hey, Pope, uh, we you need to come yeah. take a look uh, at this." So <laughs> Pius the Twelfth actually went down through the archaeological dig, went down from you know all these different layers um, with a lamp, with a lantern, and actually viewed it himself and was just absolutely in complete amazement when he was looking at his his first predecessor. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine Pretty the power cool. of that moment where you have this. You know, Pope Pius the Twelfth was a very 
I don't want to say demure, but he was a very polished man. He was a, an amazing diplomat. He was a very political person. Mm -hmm. But for him to get down in the, you know, into the dirt with a lantern and be confronted with the bones of the first pope and to have that link to history and that connection must have been just a, a mind-blowing experience. Mm -hmm. when, I, when I studied in Rome in Santa Croce, friends of mine, newly ordained guys from the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, Father Will Gancy, big shout out to him. Yeah. We celebrated mass at the altar in the Clementine Chapel, which is the closest altar to the remains of St. Peter mm -hmm. himself. And it was just a very powerful moment. But the anticipation of going back there as a newly ordained priest in 2013, I prepared my aunt and uncle who did not get married in the church for convalidation. And I celebrated that ritual within the context of the liturgy right there next to the bones of St. Peter and was a very special moment for my family to be able to celebrate that mass down there. Yeah, it's under, isn't it under the altar too? It like is. in St. Peter. So if it you is. if you were to like look at where the bones were unbeknownst to, or maybe knowingly, uh, the, the construction of St. Peter's in the 1500s or 1400s, whenever it was, that either by coincidence or by providence and divine intervention. Yeah, yeah. That, that those bones are underneath that, mm -hmm. that altar. So much so that you could drop, you know, a penny from the middle of the cupola down through the Baldacchino, through the main altar, down into the tomb area of, you know, St. Peter. Wow. Uh, dropping a penny from that height would be dangerous. <laughs> Didn't they ever tell you not to drop pennies up? Yeah, zing. There's a penny I'd, coming. I'd drop a quarter. <laughs> that would be way more well, dangerous because than because you're just, you know, you're a baller and you just, I'd just throw money out. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so last thing I want to talk about is the first graphic representation the archaeological record has of Jesus Christ. Do you guys know what it is? Yes. Only because I told you. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's, no. A, it's a picture of Hold like on, a don't, don't, don't ruin it. Okay, well, then don't ask me. <laughs> yeah, then, you, then why are you asking? You know, I should have told You're you like beforehand. You're like my kids, you know? Yeah, no, I'm like your father. I shouldn't have told you beforehand. <laughs> I was setting you You're up for the reveal. The You're supposed to say, no, Ryan, tell me. That's how that show works. No, Ryan, tell me. Tell me. <laughs> tell me, Ryan. <laughs> no more beers the night before and telling you guys all, the, all, the, all the, my tricks, right? So the first graphic representation that they found of Jesus in the, in the archaeological record was, is called the Alexa Menos Graffito, or sometimes called the Graffito Blasphemo, right? Mm -hmm. Or the Blasphemy. Blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. So this was found on a, a building on the Palatine Hill in Rome that was probably owned by the Emperor Caligula. And this was dated to sometime in the late, late second century. And what it is, is basically this house that Caligula owned was for, I guess, uh, imperial page boys, right? So maybe soldiers, maybe servants of the emperor. And so there's a bunch of... Presumably dudes in there, and they're probably, they're all younger, and they're all kind of teasing each other. Well, somebody wrote a graffiti making fun of this one guy who lived there, Alexa Menos, a Greek. Mm -hmm. And it's a picture of Alexa Menos, and then there is a crucified man with a donkey's head. And the graffiti says, Alexa Menos worships his God. So the first actual archaeological record that we have of Jesus Christ in imagery is him as a crucified man with a donkey's head. And we'll mm -hmm. post this, yeah. and the artist is definitely not an artist, you mm -hmm. can tell. No, you can tell that this was a crude graffiti. <laughs> yeah, this, was yeah. a, this was a blasphemous, yeah. like, 
form of uh, you know making fun of. Yeah, they're, they're, fun they're, of they're, they're I'll have to forget when when I went through uh, my reversion experience, I really started accepting the faith and really entering into the teachings of Jesus and really entering into worship, receiving the Eucharist, going to the sacrament of reconciliation. I was at church every day. And it was such a remarkable change of life that people in my hometown, they were like, you know, what's Richie doing? He's wearing like a cross around his neck. He's, you know, his whole life. He's not going to the clubs anymore. He's not going to Daytona Beach and blah, blah, blah. And I'll never forget, I was walking into to Walmart and three guys that I played ball with for many, many years, uh, you know, D-Rock said to me, he's like, oh, Richie, you found Jesus. Oh, we're so happy for you found Jesus. You found Jesus. And he was just making fun of me, you know, and, and in that same vein, it's that same type of yeah. like, you know, poking yeah. at somebody that, you know, because they're, they're a faithful Catholic or yeah. they're a faithful, you know, Jew or they're a faithful anything. It's like, because you're, you're a faithful person, we're going to, we're going to kind of blast you with that. Mm-hmm. And that that's important to realize that from the very beginning and the first depiction there was blasphemy and there was persecution and there was, you know, ridicule for, for what you believe in. So this yeah. is the, one of the interesting things is that, um, so number one, to Roman society, showing somebody crucified would have been like sh- for us showing like a picture of someone in an electric chair. I mean, this was not a glorious thing. This was a, this is as worse as you get. This was the worst punishment the Roman Empire could give to a person. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing is that why a donkey's head? So there was the slur that was leveled at the, the Jews and the Christians of the times that they actually worshiped their God in the form of a donkey, right? Because this shows you how little the Romans actually knew of the proper religion of, of you know, the Jewish and Christian people. And uh, Tertullian in one of his documents wrote that um, Origen repeats in his treatise Contra Celsum that the pagan philosopher Celsus made the claim against Christians and Jews that their God is personified by a donkey. So when you put that together with Tertullian origin, so you're basically saying, look, this guy is completely mocking Alexa Menno, saying, you worship a donkey who is crucified. This is the most idiotic God anyone could ever worship. How stupid are you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really poetically fitting um, that that's the first record that we have of Jesus yeah, is, you, is you, mockery. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd think you'd have something between when he died or even when he was living. Right, some sort of artistic, but between that and the late first century, yeah, late had, second century. But you got to imagine the the um, persecution oh, yeah. they were under. They're, mm-hmm. Yeah, look, if you, they you found you, they would destroy around with a, a yeah necklace or anything like no, that. No, no, yeah. that's yeah dangerous. That's, that's no bueno. Yeah, cool, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been a good episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I think um, I think we're going to take it easy on you. Any questions on this time? And why don't you just tell everyone how they can follow us, dig in more. Okay. So my friends, please continue to journey with us with the Catholic Talk Show by subscribing on all of our platforms, certainly visiting our website at catholictalkshow.com, as well as connecting with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And by that, we continue to develop this relationship and move forward and continue to journey closer together in this beautiful this beautiful contribution of our faith and history and having a little fun along the way. So as we journey, you know, don't forget, continue to support us financially by going to patreon.com, Catholic Talk Show, and that's a way that you can help us grow the show. And we wish you and all of your beautiful journeys ahead that you may dig in deep to your faith. Review some of this archaeology stuff and really firmly establish yourself. No matter what you face, if you face blasphemy, if you face people mocking you because of your faith, remember you stand on very firm foundations and you don't need to be fearful of any, any word that comes against you for the faith that you profess in Jesus Christ. God bless you.